Masechet Yevamot, Daf Zayin. We are continuing our journey to figure out why we need this derasha of the word Aleha. Uh, we have Yibum, which is a positive commandment, and the prohibition against marrying two sisters, a negative prohibition. And so we learned that the word Aleha teaches that the negative prohibition overrides and you do not perform Yibum in this case and in all other cases uh, where Yibum would lead to uh, Arayot. Uh, the question is, why do we need this uh, specification of Aleha? Why would we assume otherwise? Why would we assume that the Yibum uh, otherwise would override the prohibition and uh, that we need the word, uh, that the, we need the Dirashah of Aleha? Uh, so we tried over the last couple of Dapim uh, to explain it because we have a general rule that Aseh Doche even a serious Lotaseh that has Karet, um, and our last iteration of that, the last proof of that was that, after all, capital punishment uh, would override Shabbat, if not for the derasha. And so that proves that positive overrides negative, and that's why we need Aleha to say, no, in this case, the negative overrides positive. Uh, that was our last attempt. And in that attempt, we brought a Midrash that had three back and, backs and, back and forths. Uh, and then we uh, decided that, you know what, it's not because of a rule that we would have thought that, thought that but rather because of a kalva chomer, that capital punishment overrides the temple service. Temple service overrides Shabbat. Therefore, capital punishment overrides Shabbat. That's why we would have thought capital punishment overrides Shabbat. And so we need the derasha to say no, not no, the, the, to say otherwise, that Shabbat overrides capital punishment. But in fact, we do not have a rule that positive overrides negative when there is a punishment of karet. And so we abandon this line of thinking altogether. And instead, what we're going to see today is that the Talmud will uh, introduce two more uh, re ways to answer the question. One is we would have assumed otherwise because a brother's wife is uh, specified, even though included in the general category of adayot. Why, if it's in the, in the general category, how come the brother's wife, in the case of Yibum, is specifically pointed out? Oh, maybe it's to teach something about the general category. The point being that uh, Yibum is true, only says that a brother's wife, who is usually adayot, is in this case is exceptional, but since it says it about that, so maybe it applies to the whole general category. Uh, we're going to reject that specific rule, but then we're going to go to C, which is, how about just a plain old generalization, if a brother's wife is one example of Adayat, and that is permitted to violate for Yibum, then how about for everything else, why not make it the same as that one example? All right, so we'll get back and we'll see this. Before that, we have to tie up the loose end, which is the, this Midrash that we brought here has a back and forth. I'll show you which one it is so we can remind ourselves. Um, uh, this one here that says, you have the Pasuk that says, ish ish chet mishpat mavet vehumat, uh, which teaches that one must perform capital punishment. Uh, it's an obligation of the Betin. And we're not sure is that on Chol or Shabbat, well, you have the other pasuk that says you can't violate Shabbat. So perhaps that means in other melachot, but a betin is allowed. So in, right now, we think that capital punishment overrides Shabbat. But then we say, wait, maybe not. Maybe even a, even a betin cannot do that. And when it says vihumat, when it says you should do capital punishment, that's on a weekday, but not on Shabbat. So Shabbat overrides. Uh, 
But then we go back again and say, no, maybe not. Maybe that we do capital punishment even on Shabbat. And so you see, um, this midrash uh, unusually uh, starts off with maybe the uh, the pr- proposition: the capital punishment overrides, then Shabbat, then capital punishment once again. And this is unusual for midrash halacha to go back and forth so many times. Uh, usually, just presents one and then the other and then gives the answer. Uh, okay, so what we're asking now is. Why did this Midrash go back and forth so many times? What was the thinking in the first case, in the second, in the second line, and the third line? Uh, so that's what we're going to show now. And so we're going to get right into here. Okay, so the Kavachome that we um, were, that we started with, uh, that we left off with, is that um, uh, Avodah, we do the temple service, we do Korbanot, even on Shabbat. So you see, Avodah is greater than Shabbat. And capital punishment overrides avodah because, right, if a murderer priest goes and serves in the Bet HaMikdash, we remove him right in the middle of his service, even if there's no one else to do it, and we bring him to, uh, to be executed. So you see capital punishment overrides Shabbat, and therefore, all the more so, capital punishment will override Shabbat. Uh, so that would be the first line here, capital punishment overrides Shabbat. Um, but now we're going to explain what this Midrash meant on the, in the second level of its argument, when it said Shabbat overrides, uh, what it meant over there is it's bringing in another factor, which is met mitzvah. A met mitzvah overrides avodah, right? If someone's on their way to do Korban Pesach, we're going to see, and they see a met mitzvah, they have to become tameh, even though it will prevent them to, from doing avodah. And nevertheless, Shabbat overrides met mitzvah. If someone sees a dead body in the street on Shabbat, it does not violate Shabbat. And so you see that Shabbat, according to this, overrides Avodah. And so that would flip this uh, Kavachomet around. Uh, but the third line here, capital punishment overrides, is going to say, well, no, not necessarily. Since we have this Avodah that overrides Shabbat, we could have said Met Mitzvah overrides Avodah was overrides Shabbat. What you see is all these have conflicting values. And any two together, you can put this way or that way, because you, if you, when, you, when you add uh, a third issue, uh, right, then not, not all issues in the Torah can be lined up uh, precisely to have, uh, one greater than the other. And so, uh, but since we do end that this is a possible uh, logical reading, uh, uh, therefore we need the Pasuk to tell us otherwise that no, in fact, Shabbat overrides, which is the conclusion. Okay, so let's see this in the text. Which we begin here. Uh, okay, umay o eno de kaamad. What is that extra line of no? Maybe not. Maybe it's this way. It's like this. Hachi kaamad kivurat met mitzvah tochiach. So the burial of someone who has no one else to bury them. If you find the body in the street, that will uh, be a proof that will undo the kavachomer that we said before up here. Because after all, met mitzvah overrides avodah and does not override Shabbat. Um, but then we say, no, it's not true. Uh, burial of met mitzvah uh, should, in fact, override Shabbat from a kavachomer. What's the kavachomer? Kivurat met mitzvah doche ota, the temple service that overrides Shabbat, because we do temple service on Shabbat, and yet kivurat met, burying, uh, burying, burying dead, overrides avodah. 
how do we know that burying the dead overrides temple service? From the words, mi, mi vela ahoto. This word uh, appears regarding a nazir. Regarding a nazir, it says he may not become tameh to anyone. And then it says, it specifies, oh, for his father, mother, brother, sister. Uh, now, we, the Midash wonders, why do you have to specify all these different relations? You just said he may not become tameh at all. So you don't have to say any of these people. And so we learn from each of these people something else, and somewhere else that derives each thing. From the words for a sister, which would be unnecessary, we learn that in Nazir can become Tameh for, uh, for his sister, even if he's going uh, to make Korban Pesach, right? So he's a Nazir going to make Korban Pesach. Nevertheless, he becomes Tameh for a met mitzvah. Okay, has nothing to do with sister, but just an extra word that teaches us this law. So now we know that, uh, yes, in fact, met uh, mitzvah is uh, overrides uh, avodah. And that, Shabbat, and yet Shabbat is overridden by avodah, and odin met mitzvah doche ota. So all the more so, met mitzvah would override even Shabbat. And so that's what I would have thought here. Met mitzvah overrides avodah, which overrides Shabbat. Um, and so I would think based on that, that capital punishment overrides everything, overrides Shabbat. And that's why I need the final pasuk of lo teva aru. No, do not do capital punishment, uh, not even on Shabbat. Okay, so this explains the three steps of the Midrash. Um, uh, assuming that it's all dealing with the Kalvachomet. But now we're going to go back one step. When we first read that Baraita, the whole reason that we brought in this Midrash was to prove that capital punishment override Shabbat because this is a, an example of and a source for the idea that the rule that a positive overrides a negative commandment even when there is Karet. So that we, we were assuming that in that reading that we had originally before we undid it with the Kavachome reading, what, what were the three stages of argumentation uh, that we went back and forth? What, what was that extra eno omed? So we, we explained. Why does why do we need the Pasuk to tell me that one who violates uh, Shabbat will be punished? Maybe that's referring to other uh, issues and not a, not a betin. But when a betin wants to do capital punishment, then that overrides because a positive overrides a negative. That's what we were trying to prove. But then we said, no, maybe not. No, that only applies uh, to a regular, plain old uh, uh, like Shatnez, uh, that's the seat overrides it. But if it has karet, the do we ever have a rule that they would override it? So that this is the now the opposite, saying, uh, no, it should not be so. But then the third level of argument says, no, even there, even in the regular rule, when you say a positive overrides a negative, isn't a negative in general more stringent? After all, if you violate a negative, you still get a regular love, you still get punished with lashes. 
which is not true for uh, not doing a positive commandment. So in any case, even a regular love is just looking at, at it by itself is more, uh, is more important than a mitzvah. And nevertheless, the rule is that an aseh will override the lota aseh, even though the lota aseh has a punishment of lashes. So what's the difference if it's a, a more minor, uh, more minor lav or a more stringent lota uh, aseh? What's the difference if an aseh can override something that's only lashes and it can override something that's even karet, right? Because in, in either case, both of them have a punishment, whereas a, as a, a mitzvah, not doing mitzvah, does not have a punishment. So that's the third level. I might have thought that uh, says, even a stringent and that's why we need, in this case, the Torah to say, and we don't do capital punishment, not even on Shabbat. And so that explains the three levels of argumentation um, according to the original reading we had of the Baraita. All right, that closes up that loose end. And now we go back to our original question because this whole line of reasoning led, led us to nowhere, although we learned a lot of important things along the way. So it was still good to do that. Um, and now we're going back and trying to figure out why would we assume that Yibum would override the, uh, the prohibition of Adayot, that we need the word Aleha to say, no, that it doesn't. Uh, and so now we're going to bring our second uh, way of answering this. Ela istirich, rather we need the word Aleha. Saka datechamina teve hai eshet ach, davan sheya bichlal, veyasamina kelal lelamed. This is one of the 13 midrash from the school of Rabbi Ishmael that says um, that eshet ach, is, eshet ach is the regular case. Uh, um, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a normal situation uh, where let's say a, a brother has children and he dies. Um, if the surviving brother would take his brother's wife, that would be erva. Children from that marriage children from that union, it's not even a marriage, they can't get married. If they have children, they would be mamzerim. So eshet ach is in the list of the arayot. Um, so uh, bakelal is the generality. Um, this is the pasuk all the way at the end of Ayikra 18 that says, summarizing after the list of all the arayot, this is a um, this is a generalization, and so eshet ach, which was included in that generalization, generalization uh, and yet it comes out of the generalization where in the case of yibum, because the case of yibum is, is itself overriding eshet ach. The case of yibum says if the brother dies without children, then even though the yevama is a brother's wife. And therefore, technically, in Adva, the law of Yibum says that we uh, override the law of Erva. So Yatsa min hakelal, and uh, specifies that one case, Eshetach is permitted. So the rule says, not only is it teaching something about itself, but that goes back and returns and teaches something about the generality that all Adayot 
would be permitted in such a case. According to this logic right now, this would be true for two sisters, right? If two brothers marry two sisters and uh, one, uh, the, one of the brothers dies, then that would mean that the surviving brother can marry his wife's sister. And this might would apply to all the adayot. If a brother marries his niece, then, and he dies, then logically, according to this, the father would have to marry, do yibum with his daughter. I know that's impossible. We're gonna reject this, right? But uh, if we apply this rule, then that is what we would have thought. And that's why we need Aleha to say not so. Okay, um, uh, to understand this rule better, uh, the Gemara is very nice. It's going to be really nice, uh, uh, be a good teacher, and give us a, um, an actual example of this of, of the application of this rule. Uh, what's an example where this rule really does apply, and we don't override it um, because this rule is not really going to apply in this case. We're going to see. Um, so here's a okay, here's a good case. It says, someone eats from uh, the flesh of a sacrifice at a shelamim while he's tameh, that person will get karet. Okay, so eating from a shelamim, one gets karet. Now, shelamim is just one example of all of, of a sacrifice. And we already have a general rule about sacrifices later in Vayikra. Where it says, This tells you already that any kodashim, any sacrifice, if someone eats it with while he's tameh, gets karet. So why do I need you? Why do I need this one to be excluded or specified if it's part of the general rule? I was to teach you something about that general rule. What's special about Shalamim? Shalamim is Kodesh, that is something holy, that is offered on the altar. And so this teaches that the general rule only applies to holy animals that are offered on the altar. If someone eats them, they will get karet. And that comes to exclude that means, if, let's say I donate an animal, not as a sacrifice, but simply uh, as a donation, general donation for temple maintenance, that the value of this uh, animal that the Bet HaMikdash can then sell or use, whatever it wants. So that is not intrin, that, that's, not the, that's not Kodesh that would be on the altar. Uh, if I would, someone would go and eat that animal, they would not get karet. So from the general rule, the general rule does not distinguish between what type of Kodesh it is. And so I only know from Shilamim. So I say, why was Shilamim uh, specified, if it's part of the general rule, to teach me something not only about Shilamim, I know that already, but rather to teach me something about the general rule. So that's, the, that's, a, that's a good classic example of applying uh, this uh, Midrashic rule. So we can apply that here too. Was, is, is just is, uh, with, included within the general category of all forbidden relationships. And so how come in the case of Yibum, it specifies this particular relationship of Eshet Ach, 
להקיש אליה to make to make an analogy just like this one is this case is allowed and if it's a brother that died without children so too other relationships also will be will be allowed to do boom and have a child so that's what I would have thought and based on that I would have I would have thought that we permit not only Eshetach, but all relationships, all adayot relationships, if it's for the purpose of yibum. And that's why I need the word aleha to say, no, not so. A brother's wife, yes, that is permitted in the case of yibum, but not two sisters and not anything else. Okay, so that's a good try. We're going to reject this. Because we say, Mida, meh, hold on, these cases are not the same. The case of Shilamim, which was a classic example, and this one that you just brought. Hatam kilal bi'isur, ufrat bi'isur. Over there in the shalamim and the, you know, the good cases where we apply it uh, properly, the generality is a prohibition and the, and the specific example is also a prohibition, all right? It was telling me that both, all kodashim, one cannot eat as karet and also shalamim, uh, one cannot eat as karet. So it was giving something that both of them were prohibitions. And so you say, why does he have to tell me the prohibition regarding the specific example? And the generality, oh, it's to tell you something about the generality. That makes sense. But in this case, the general category says these are all prohibited, all these laws of uh, ancestral relationships. And then the one that, that is specified actually gives is a permission that you are allowed to, um, to, to marry your brother's wife uh, in this case of Yibum. So this is not an application of that rule, but rather an exception, right? The reason why it's specified not in the general rules because it's different from the generality. So you can't go back and learn anything from here to the generality. Um, you know what, if you wanna compare it to something, it would actually be better, it would better fit into the following rule. And uh, this rule then would not, you know, would not teach anything about the generality. This is more like something that, yes, it was a part of the general category, but it was specified in order to teach something new. If you teach something new about the specific thing, you cannot go and return it to the general category and you know, continue the analogy between them unless the pasuk specifically says, oh, and this, even though we excluded it, it also is in fact part of the general category. If it goes back and uh, includes it again, then you can say, all right, fine, it's included for all other things except that, ex except whatever it's uh, excluded for. Um, so this uh, ours would be more like this case. Let's see a classic example of this case, of this rule. Uh, and then we'll see that, uh, how it applies to our case. Vibum, detanya. Good. So this is the general rule. This is talking about a mesora who has to bring uh, three different types of korbanot. And where do you, where should he sacrifice them? Okay, the keves uh, that he's gonna bring as an asham should, you should be, should be slaughtered in the same place that he slaughters his chatat and his, and his olah. 
which is in the place of Kodesh, in the northern part of the courtyard. And then, so this is, uh, you know, specifying this, the Kevis for some reason. And then it goes back and says, Kachatat ha'asham. His asham, the Mesoraz asham, is just like a chatat offering, and therefore it's in the same place. So you see, at first it's specifying it, and then it's saying, oh, and by the way, it's also part of the general rule. Okay, why is it doing this? Why do you need to tell me that the asham is like the chatat? I don't need this, so why, do, so why does it say it if, I, if, I, if it's not necessary to say? Here's why. Oh, what's interesting about the Asha Mesora? It's unusual in that all other karbanot, you take the blood and you put it on the Mizbeach. That's it. But the Asha Mesora, you have to take some of the blood and put it on his uh, thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. And so, so since this is exceptional, it's a general category of a, of a korban, but it's yatsa. It leaves the, the generalization in that the Torah says you put the blood on his uh, thumb, uh, on his thumbs and, and, his, and his toe, on his thumb and his toe. And so I might have thought, oh, it's exceptional in that way. And therefore, I would think that then you only put the blood on his thumb and not on the Mizbeach. So then the Pasuk comes and adds, oh, by the way, the Asham is in fact like a Chatat. I know I just excluded it from the general category, but now I'm going to bring it back into the general category. Then in fact, this is the same. Not only do I put the blood on his thumb and his toe, but I also have to bring, uh, put the blood on them and the other uh, innards on the Mizbeach. But if not for this, these words, that the Hashem is like a chatat, I would say um, for that which it left, it left. And for that which it did not leave, it did not leave. Uh, point being, a little hard to read these words. But the idea is that um, if, it did, if it did not re-include it into the generalization, then I would, in fact, not put the blood on the Mizbeach. Um, okay, so uh, only I only put the blood on the because uh, it was the this the mesoraz asham was part of the general category, but then I brought it as an exception. So I have to reintroduce it into the general category in order to teach me that although it's exceptional that we put it on his thumb and his toe, nevertheless it's also part of the generalization. So that's a classic example. Now and so here too, our brother's wife who was permitted. And so now it's exceptional um, because uh, so uh, is exceptional. Um, uh, so and uh, now once it leaves the general category, then I say that's exceptional. Now, if the Torah would have had extra words that reintroduced it back into the, into the general category, like, the, like these words, if it would have said, just like Eshet Ach, so too is two sisters. 
um, then I could have then I would have learned from here to the generality. But it doesn't say that since the uh, since this is simply exceptional, um, is this the whole that rule that we just said does not apply and only eshet ach is permitted. Bashad arayot la bashad other arayot. I cannot I cannot assume that they would be permitted just because yibum is allowed in eshet ach and therefore. We abandon uh, B, uh, it was a good try, right? We tried to say that this is like something that is specified and teaches about the general category, but in fact, it's really like something that's specified and leaves the general category altogether and is never reintroduced back into the general category. So the point is simply that a brother's wife is exceptional and there's no reason to think that that would be the same as the general category. Okay, so those technical rules do not apply uh, but now we're going to try one last rule, which will be successful, at least for today. Okay, memasinu is another another uh, exegetical rule that is a simple generalization. So whenever you have uh, one law that applies to one issue, and if there are other issues that are analogous to that first one, then we can apply, assume that the law applies to all of them, which we do often. So memasinu is a nice, good uh, general rule saying that the Torah said it in one place, but we generalize it to other places. Right, very easy, very simple. Uh, just like um, you can perform yibum, uh, even with a brother's wife, which normally would be Erva, and yet Yibum uh, overrides it, so too, I would think, you're also a wife's sister, that you could do Yibum, because why not? This is, this is Arayot, this is Arayot, but Yibum overrides them. Good. And that's why I need the word, that's why I need the Derashah Valeha to tell me no. Now we say, Mida, me, no, it's not the same, Hatam, Had Isura, in the case of Eshet Ach, this is a regular case where it's not uh, two brothers married, two women that are not related. In that case, um, if, he, if one should have to do Yibum, he would be violating only one prohibition, that of a Eshet Ach, his, it's his brother's wife. But if it's two brothers marrying two sisters, then in fact, he would be have to violate two different prohibitions because the Yivama would be not only his brother's wife, but also his wife's sister. So uh, fine, you can violate one prohibition, but that doesn't mean you can violate two prohibitions. It's not the same. You can't use memasinu. No, maybe you could still could. Because we could apply another rule. Uh, the other rule says once something is permitted, it's permitted, right? So in other words, once the Torah says you're allowed to do it and even override one prohibition, then you can override two prohibitions because the Torah says it's allowed. Good. Now, where do we see this rule? We will now illustrate this, uh, the source of this rule that once permission is given, uh, permission is given. In other words, once uh, the Torah says you can violate one prohibition, uh, you can override it for one reason. So we apply that also to two prohibitions. What's the source of this rule? Okay, we're gonna learn it from a case of a mesorah who has to go through a seven day uh, 
uh, period of purification goes to the mikveh, at which point he's called mechusar kipurim, he still has to bring his korban on the eighth day. And uh, so he's not, uh, he's not 100% uh, tahor until he brings his korbanot. Um, and therefore, since he's not 100% tahor, he would not yet be ready um, to bring korban Pesach until he does that and wouldn't actually even be able to come to the hatzed of the Bet HaMikdash until he's ready. So here's the thing uh, with a Mesora, he's in a bit of a bind because a Mesora, as we said above, in order for him to complete his purification, he needs to have the blood of the Asham placed on his thumb and his big toe. The problem is that Korbanot cannot be removed from the Chaser, uh, defined as this area here. Um, this is the... Um, uh, the the uh, uh, the, the nashim uh, here, which is uh, considered part of harabayit, and uh, so uh, is uh, actually has the same law as harabayit, not the same law as the inner chaser. So the question is, what is a misora to do? He is permitted to come on to harabayit, and therefore can come to ezrat hanashim, and that's fine, but he cannot come into the inner chaser, and so how is he going to get the blood sprinkled on his thumb? And so the law is that he will go to Shar Nikanor, right, this gate here, and he can stand, he can stand inside the gate, that's still permitted area, and he will stick his thumb into the chaser and have the blood sprinkled on it. Now, technically, that would be a problem even to, even, even to put a limb into the chaser while he's not totally purified. But the Torah says this is permitted because there's no other way to do it. So this is the first ishtare that Torah permits uh, to permit him to do this, um, to put his, uh, to put his uh, hand and his foot into the chaser. Good. So that's uh, the one now we're going to compound that with a complication and the second reason why he will we will have to override yet a second law which would be a that of a tevul yom so this this guy poor guy on the eighth day finally he thinks he's going to be tahor and he'll perform the sacrifice on the uh, on this on the eighth day which is at pesach and then he'll be able to partake in Korban Pesach. The problem is during that day, he has a seminal emission, and he goes to the mikveh that day. After he goes to the mikveh, the, the mikveh before, the, before it gets dark, he's called Tevul Yom. In general, a Tevul Yom is not permitted to come on to Harabait at all. Not only the chaser, he cannot even go up to Harabait. And so he would have a problem because on the one hand, he cannot come to Harabait because he's Tavul Yom. On the other hand, he, but at night he'll be okay. On the other hand, he cannot purify himself from being a Mesora uh, without coming on to Harabait and getting the uh, his uh, getting the blood on his thumb. So he's kind of in a double bind. And so the rabbis say, for this person, even though he's not allowed, we're going to make an exception to the rule and allow this Tavul Yom to come on to uh, Har Habayit. But the reason is, better to perform a misvat aseh that if you don't perform it, you would get karet. That's Korban Pesach, right? That's one of two. Korban Pesach and Berit Milah are the positive commandments. If you don't do them, one gets karet. So we want to make sure he does uh, Korban Pesach. And that will override 
the ase of keeping the temple in a state of purification, uh, but that does not have karet. If a tevul yom would uh, would enter the harabayit, uh, he violates this ase, but is no karet. So therefore, better for us to override the rule of harabayit, a tevul yom coming out harabayit, so that he can do korban pesa, so that he can get the blood on his finger, so that he can be purified from his misora, so that he can do korban pesach. Okay, so this is a second. Now, uh, uh, a tangent, uh, which we're going to show that we just uh, said that tevul yom going on harabayit is a viol- is a biblical violation. But Rabbi Yochanan disagrees, although he's an Amorai, he's an early Amorai, he disagrees and says uh, that tevul uh, yom coming on harabayit is only to Rabbanan, not a matter of Torah. How does he know that? Shneimar, Yehoshaphat, Bikad Yehuda, Lifne, Hechasera Hadasha. Yehoshaphat, the king. Uh, when he gathered um, all B'nai Israel to come and, in prayer during a time of war, he stood before the new courtyard. What do you mean the new courtyard? There was no new courtyard. The Beit HaMikdash was already up before. Uh, there's nothing new about it. So some say to be here. No, it's not a new courtyard, but rather they made a new law uh, in his generation, and they said, a law midrabanan, a tevul yom cannot come onto machane levia, machane levia is equivalent to harabayit. And so this law is only midrabanan. Okay, nevertheless, the point is whether it's darabanan or doraita, the rabbis came and said, better to allow him to come up so they could do korban pesach. Now, v'amad ula mata'am o'il v'huta lesara'ato, the reason why we permit it is because the Torah already gave us the opening. Because a a, um, a mesora, who is mechusar kipurim, is actually not allowed to go to um, into the courtyard, and yet the Torah makes an exception and permits him to put his thumb in to the courtyard. So once the Torah permits that then we can piggyback on that permission and say, who may not come unto Harabayit and certainly cannot enter the courtyard. No, since he's already allowed to enter the courtyard, even though as a Misorah he's not permitted, once the Torah allows one, so we can expand that and give permission to two, uh, to, uh, to override even two prohibitions. Um, and so the Tavul Yom, even though it's Tavul Yom, he also can come up and put his hand in. And therefore, uh, since now that we have this rule that you can, once you override one, you can override two, we can apply that to this memasinu. Although the Torah only says that uh, in the case of Yibum, one may marry his brother's wife and override the, the law of Arayot regarding a brother's wife. So the Torah permits it permits one to override one. Uh, but we can apply this rule that once one thing is overridden, we can override even two and say, even in a case where two brothers marry two sisters and one dies, that he can uh, he can do yibum. And even though that will violate two, that's okay. It's his brother's wife and his wife's sister. But once one is allowed, the other one is allowed also. That's what we would have thought. And that's why we need the uh, pasuk of Aleha to teach me that not so, because from the Memasinu, I would have thought that uh, it would be permitted 
to override even other laws, other uh, prohibitions of incest. And so Alas tells me that, no, only that one. Uh, in other cases, uh, the prohibition overrides. Yibum. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.